This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, this week's Pasha is Pasha Shemos. Pasha Shemos has a lot to do with women, even though most women don't know that and most men don't know that. But there are a few stories in this week's Pasha that have a lot to do with women. And if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be here today. So what am I talking about? So first of all, when um, when Paro came up with this idea that he wants to kill all the firstborn boys, he hired two Jewish women to go to when women were delivering babies. So they had what's called an avnoyim. An avnoyim is a birthstone. Um, I guess it, I think it was a large flat stone that the midwives would bring, and that was sort of the crate, sort of where they would put the baby after the baby was taken from the mother. So like we put it in a cradle, in a, in, a, in a little thing over there. So they would put it on this stone that was very clear, very clean, and very flat. And that's where they would put the baby while they were working with the mother. It's called a birthstone. It's called an avnoyim. And he hired two Jew- Jewish midwives because the Jews would not allow any other midwives. They wouldn't trust them. He hired, power hired two Jewish midwives. One's name was Shifra. And one name was Pua. Where'd you get the name Pua from? Because she used to, that's what it says in the Medrash, to get the babies to, to, to stop crying, she would go Pua, 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 like, like, you know, like Poo, Poo, Poo. Maybe that's where that came from. I don't know. But, um, that's how she got the name Pua. But who was Shifra? Shifra was Yocheved. Yocheved was Moshe Rabbeinu's mother. Who was Pua? Pua was Miriam. So, before anything started, these two Jewish ladies were hired. And what were they hired to do? They were hired actually to kill the Jewish boys that were on the birthstone. Because the mother delivered, they would take the baby from the mother and put it on the birthstone. While they were doing that, it would be very easy, very easy to asphyxiate the child. And they would say, oh, we're really sorry, but it didn't make it. That's what he wanted them to do. But of course, two Jewish ladies could never do that. So, Vayomer, Paro said, When you're being the midwives for the Jewish ladies, and you'll see the baby on the stone, in Benhu, if it's a boy, kill him. The Embasi, if the girl, let him live, let her live. But the midwives, these two Shifra and Pua, they feared Hashem, not a king. They did not listen to him. But they let them all live. Now, of course, the king would try and tell you to do something, you don't listen, that means you're not going to live. So they put their lives on, in danger in order to save the Jewish boys that were being born. When the king heard this, the, the king called the midwives, Why'd you do this? You're letting the boys live. The Jewish women are not like the Egyptian women. Because Jewish women are animals. Before we can even get to them, right? They already gave birth and the child was already wrapped up and we couldn't say that it died in childbirth. So they're like animals in the field. They don't need you know our help. And by the time we got there, which wasn't true, of course. By the time we got there, they were born. 
And he seemed to have accepted that answer. This is a very interesting pasuk. So, how does so? What does this mean? That God benefited the the meyald of the midwives. And the nation were um, increased, right? A lot. And Rashi says they gave birth to six at a time. And they became very strong. How does that, how does that, Hashem did good for the midwives, so it should have said they got money, they got healthy kids there. The next prospect will say that Hashem, because Hashem saw that these, these midwives feared him, he gave them houses from, from, um, from, from Moshe Rabbeinu, from, from, Yochevet, um, from Yochevet, and from Miriam, came Kahuna, and came, and came, and came Malchus. So there's where the reward is. But the Pussy before says, Hashem was good to them, and the nation multiplied, and they became strong. Was that good to them? And the answer is, that, when a person wants to do the right thing, Right? When, you, when you're doing Kirov, let's say you want to help kids get close to Hashem. So how's Hashem good to you? By making you successful in what you're trying to do. So you would have thought that it said Hashem was good to them, so they had healthy children and they had... No. That was... Sukkim later Hashem said, I'm rewarding you. But what was, what was good to them that they saw that, that the nation was multiplying and they saw that the boys were strong and the nation was strong. And, and I, I spoke this week, and I've spoken about this before, but I think that it's really, really important, and it's, it's, it's a miracle that we're all standing here tonight all together and speaking to you. You should just know that, because I am so frustrated and so angry and so in pain um, of what happened this week to a girl that you're lucky I'm not, didn't come in here just throwing chairs across the room, because... Because no matter how many times I will stand in front of this camera and stand in front of you women and tell you, stay off the internet. Stay off the internet. Stay off Facebook. It's just not good for you. So at 7 o'clock on Monday night, I got a call from a hysterical mother that her daughter, who's 19 years old, is missing for a week. And... Actually, I got that call on Friday. And I sort of tricked the people that were, that kidnapped this girl and, and got this girl. Um, I sort of tricked them and we, nobody, no matter how many times her mother, her mother came home and, um, last week, Monday, she came home and all this girl's clothing were gone and or her ID was gone and, Everything was gone, and there was a note that was written that I ran off with some non-Jewish Spanish guy, and I fell in love with him. And the mother knew right away that her daughter didn't write it because her daughter has a learning disability and can't write. But the guys who took it didn't know that. So they wrote this letter and signed her name, but we knew that that letter wasn't true. And um, But she took her clothing, and she's 19, so it's not a, it's not a minor. And... Um, Nobody could reach her. Nobody could find her. Friday, I told the mother that, being that I deal with this, she should text her that um, we're going to file a missing persons report. And I knew that the people were holding her. When they see that, they're going to be scared that the cops are going to get involved. So she did answer her phone, and she told her mother she's going to meet her on Monday. 
in Manhattan at 6.15 at a certain place, and we backed up the mother to see if the girl would show up. Of course, the girl did not show up, and um, continued to call and could not find her. To make a long story short, um, we finally did get through. She was talking totally incoherent, and there's a regular, normal girl like anybody in this room, 19-year-old, regular Jewish girl living in Flatbush, and uh, sort of kidnapped, and still could not find her. And we finally got through on the phone, and she said, they're listening, they took my ID, they're erasing my ID. This is stuff that happens, ladies. This is what happens when you connect to people on the Internet. They could, they could kidnap you, they'll drug you, you won't, they'll, they'll use mind-altering drugs, you will not know who you are anymore. They will change your ID, and you will be sold, and you will be traded, and you will be out of America, and you will, no one will ever find you. And this happens every single day. And now they're after the Jewish kids, and there's nothing we can do, because if you're 19, then it's consensual. And we can't prove that anybody drugged you because they could say you drugged yourself. We can't prove that, anybody, that, you, that anyone did anything physically to you because they could say it was consensual. So anybody who's over 18, 19, and that's who they target specifically because they can do whatever they want to you and then say, she's 19, it was consensual. So, so we got her on the phone and I didn't know what to do because she told me they get there listening. And she didn't know what she was talking about, and Hashem sent me a crazy machshava. And I said to her, I said to her, knowing that they were listening, I'm in your house, and I have your heart medicine. She doesn't have heart medicine. And I have your heart medicine, and you're a week without your heart medicine. And you have arrhythmia. And a week without heart medicine for arrhythmia, don't ask where that came from, um, <laughs> you're, you're not going to make it till tomorrow morning. I mean, you're going to have a heart attack tonight. I, what are you doing? Just just tell me where you are. I'll put the, med, the the pills into an envelope with two hundred dollars, and I'll uh, and I'll I'll leave it by the doorstep. Just tell me where you are. And all of a sudden, this guy gets on the phone. He says she has heart medicine. She takes pills, and I'm like, pills? You better blank believe it. If she don't get those pills, she's dead. She has arrhythmia, and they hung up the phone. And then we did what we have to do because you can track a phone. First, you have to make a missing persons report. And as we're making the missing persons report, we're beginning to track a phone uh, to find out where she is exactly. Um, I get a, someone pick, someone calls me back and says, "Hi, this is Officer So and So. Do you know anything about this girl? We just walked into an apartment. We got a phone call from EMS that there's a girl who's having a heart attack. She doesn't have her medicine." <laughs> It's not funny. It's a nice, it's a nice, a nice nifla. That I, Hashem put that into my head, and they panicked, thinking that they got themselves a girl here that's very sick and is going to die, and how they're going to explain it. So they wanted to be the good guys, and they called the EMS and um, took it to the hospital. Except she's totally psychotic and um, recognizes nobody, and um, is pretty much not here anymore. And I spent seven o'clock till six o'clock in the morning with her with detectives and and officers and it's really not much they can do because these guys called it in and said she ran away from home non-Jewish boyfriend Jewish people are trying to make up stories about us girls Jewish girls do this all the time they make up stories and police are like she's psychotic we can't take anything 
whatever she says. And so I am frustrated, angry, furious, upset, uh, traumatized because I've never looked into a pair of eyes and someone looked at me and I, I, they weren't looking at me. There were dead eyes. I never saw anything like that. What these guys did to her, I don't even want to think about. And the most frustrating thing is that I cannot get up here enough times and tell you, get off the freaking internet. Get out of the chat rooms and get off Facebook. What are you doing? Why are you talking to people that you don't know? Too late for her. I don't, I don't think that, you know, it's already now 48 hours and she's totally in a psychosis. Too late. A regular Jewish 19-year-old girl. So I wasn't going to talk about it tonight, but I'm thinking to myself, I stayed up for 12 hours, didn't sleep. I came home at 6.15 a.m. Why shouldn't I talk about it? I don't want to do this again. I'm tired. I'm very, very tired. I don't want to do this again. And that girl's my sister. And what these guys did to her shouldn't be done to, to the worst human being in this world. And the only reason it happens because she was on the internet. She met him on the internet. We know that. And these guys are pros. Her bank account was emptied out. All the money that was in it was emptied out. She's 19. She's the only one in the camera. Consensual. She's 19. She can take money out of her account. They know exactly what they're doing. They're professionals. And you are not professionals. You are vulnerable, amateur, Jewish people. And you are out of your mind if you are on that internet talking to people that you don't know. And I just cannot stress it enough, and no matter how many times I talk about it, it doesn't help. It doesn't help. I, I don't want to be in a hospital till 6 o'clock in the morning anymore. Especially at Elmhurst, Queens where nobody speaks English in the whole hospital. So I decided about a minute and a half ago that I am going to talk about it because I really wasn't going to because I'm in that much pain and Ryan Watson has seen pretty much everything in his life. I've never looked into a pair of eyes that there's no brain behind it. It's the first time I ever saw that in my life. I, re I really don't want to see it again. And you don't go out with guys that you don't know. And you don't trust anybody. Anywhere. Because we're living in a very sick world. And you don't trust the people that you think you can trust. Let them marry you. Okay? And then I hope you can trust them. You can't go out with guys. You can't do this stuff anymore. It's over. It's over. They just want to hurt you. People just want to hurt you today. You got to stick a stick with the people that you know and on the internet you don't know anybody no, in, I, I know a girl that was talking to a girl for three years for three years she was telling her all her problems on the internet they were talking and finally the girl flew in that she was talking to a Borough Park girl the girl flew in who she was talking to to meet her in a hotel finally and she was so happy because she's been talking to this girl and telling her all her tsaras well guess what it wasn't a girl. And I'm not finishing that story. She thought she was talking to a girl. What are you doing? You're talking to someone on the internet. You don't know who it is.
All right, got that off my chest. Anyway, now it's going to happen anyway. I could talk till, till I'm blue in the face. Because, eh, Wallstein, eh, one story. Cops told me, detectives told me, Rabbi, a lot of your people, a lot of your people, he says, and we don't know which ones are telling us the truth because the religious ones, they're scared to say they went off with a boy. So they make up stories that they were kidnapped and someone put something in their drink. So we don't know which girl's stories are real or not real anymore. He says, so how do I know that this girl's story is true? And I'm like, Lieutenant, why don't you go into the room and meet her? She can't make up a story. She's not here. And he took one look at her and he was like, I'm sorry, Rabbi. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I said anything. So he knows other girls that are getting involved like this. This is crazy. This is totally out of control. What are you doing? I just don't want to see it again. I, I, I can't get past what I just what, what I just went through. I went through Nebuchadnezzar. And, and the prognosis is... Whatever they did to get her, I don't know that she'll ever be back in this world. So, you know, sometimes they just don't give you another chance. They just shoot you up with some stuff to, to erase your memory, to erase your brain. There's a lot of that stuff out there. You, you can't go, there's no reason. You need the internet to do your college stuff? Just do your college stuff and turn it off. You need that work? Do your, do your work and turn it off. What are you talking to people? Okay. I can tell you, I, whatever, I'm not. All right, anyway, so uh, let's go back to the Mialdos. So, the, so, so their reward was that they saw that Kleistrol was getting bigger and growing, and I guess the greatest reward for someone who works at the Robin or works at the public is to see success. So what Hashem said over here was that, that their reward was that they saw that they were successful. And, and it goes back to... Uh, the Israeli government was here today to see Ornava, to see uh, Benochaya, to see to see a lot of things that we do because they want to copy it, which is, of course, a very big compliment. And um, I was talking to one of the women from the government that was here, and she was like, "I don't understand you. Like, why are you doing it? Why are you, why do you do this stuff that you do?" And I'm like, "There are two kinds of people in this world. They're the ones who want." And they're the ones who need. Everybody wants to do the right thing. Everybody wants to help people. Everyone wants to be good. But then there are people who need to help people. Who need to be good. Who need to create things. Those are the people who get things done. There's a lot of wanters. Oh, I want to help the world. We, we in Arnava are probably the weakest organization ever in the history of organizations when it comes to volunteers. We just don't get volunteers. We have three or six girls that help us all the time. We have 3,000 women. We have people that come all the time. And anytime we need volunteers, everybody says, I want to help you at Wallstein. I want to be a volunteer. When it came to Hanukkah, to do the Shabbos Hanukkah, we needed hundreds of volunteers. We got the same six Nebuch that were up all night sleeping on the floor in my office. So there's a lot of people in this room right now, a lot of people watching that. I, I want to help Ornava. I want to help Ornava. 
doesn't happen. You call them like, ah, I'm busy, I have this and that. Then there are people who need to help Arnava. If you need something, you do it. If you want something, 80% of the time, you don't do it. So, they wanted, they wanted to help Klai Yisrael. And they wanted to make sure that every Jewish boy would stay alive. Therefore, the greatest reward for them, the Torah says, was that they got to see that what they wanted to happen, happened. And the biggest proof of this is in this week's parsha by a non-Jew, by Batya Basparo. Batya Basparo came down, this is like so important, to start off the book of Gullus, of Shemos, to start it off with this story, which I never understood, and I sort of can say I never really believed as a kid, because I didn't think that Batya Basparo was Gumbi. So, thank you, what are you so nervous about? Okay. Where are my camels? Took care of my camels. This is... Bacha's been giving me water for about seven years. All of a sudden, now she's getting nervous. Now, the reason that Bacha's been giving me water, she doesn't even know. Because... What? There you go. Because... Because she thinks that Rabbi Wallerstein needs to have a drink while he's speaking, right? So, so actually, there are many times when I'm speaking to the boys, and all of a sudden this boy would walk up with a bottle of water and says, there's some girl outside, oh, Yitzchak, Bacha, or Jody, she sends Jody sometimes, with a bottle of water to the boys share. So, so she just needs to give me water, and, and that's why I know I'll never go thirsty during a share of Bacha's here. So thank you, Bacha. Appreciate it. So this week's Pasha... This week's Pasha is amazing because Batya Basparo came down to the Nile River and there was a little baby boy crying in a basket way out in the river. So she puts out her hand and Rashi says that her hand stretched like Gumby. You don't know what Gumby is, but whatever. Um, this is this little guy made out of like stretchable Gumby, right? So it's like old cartoons, very old. But he didn't rip off anybody's heads, or you know what I mean? He was like a quiet guy. Well, I think it was blue or purple, two little eyes next to each other, whatever. Anyway, so, so Rashi says she stretched out her hand and just kept going and going and going all the way to the middle of the Nile River, grabbed onto the basket. She had leprosy and went away, and she pulled him in. I'm like, as a kid, I'm like, come on, Rebbe. I mean, <laughs> her hand kept stretching. And the question is that why did God have to do that? Why didn't he just make like a wind come? And she would have said, Oh, I feel so bad. This little baby stuck out in the Nile River crying, right? Wish I could help him. And then a wind would have come and blown the little basket, the little boat to her. What a nice little story it would have been, right? Instead, we got to have this. Stretch out her hand, and I'm sure her hand wasn't even as long as mine, Right? And it just keeps going and going. Come on. Come on. What kind of story is that? That's as, that's as big as Kriyas Yamsuf. We get all excited about the ten Makos. 
right? And, 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 and all the miracles in the Torah. This should have been registered as like the biggest miracle. A human hand stretched out a mile into the river to save Moses. That's huge. Torah doesn't say it. Rashi says it. Why would Hashem make such a big miracle? Just blow, 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 you know, come on. There's waves and there's currents. And the answer is, this lesson has to be learned in the beginning of Pasha Shmos. Is that it's your job to put out your hand. Even if it doesn't reach. You gotta try. You gotta start the race. Your job is not to finish the race, even though that's what we're taught. Your job is to start the race and do the best that you can. You don't have to finish the race. You have to start it. It's not up to you to finish because you don't even know if you're going to live to finish the race. So you got to start the race. you got to be in the game, we used to call it. you got to be in the game. You can't sit on the bench. You're in the game, even if the other team is much better, you never know on one day you just might win a game that you never won before. And therefore, Bacha specifically, was the Bas Melech put out her hand. It was impossible. But she was saying... I need to save that child, even though she was so far away. Says Rashi, if you need something, your hand, which is human, can stretch to make it happen. But you, you have to need it. Wanting it, I'm sure everybody that said, oh, we want that boy to be saved, we feel very bad for him. That doesn't work. And that was something that has to be in Pasha Shemos because the Jewish nation was going into the worst, darkest hour of their life. And therefore, I think that Mashiach is not here because the song says, we want Mashiach now instead of we need Mashiach now. So everybody walks around and says, we want Mashiach. We want Mashiach. I want Mashiach. We wrote a song about it. I want Mashiach. But nobody really feels I need Mashiach. Some people, when they're in distress, that I need Mashiach. But that's only when they're in distress. They don't need Mashiach because Hashem is in distress. They need Mashiach because they're in distress. So every single person, if they felt that they need Mashiach, he would be here. So the difference between the people who make a difference in this world and the people who talk a lot are the difference between the people who want and the people who need. So somebody asked me last night in my share, okay, Rebbe, so how do you go from want to need? How do you make that switch? Very nice, but how do you make that switch? And the answer is by spending time and thinking about the thing that you want is it the thing that you need? So I told them to make a list. On one side, what you want. On one side, what you need. And look at it very carefully. And you might change some of the stuff from your need to your want. And some of the stuff from your want to your need. I need money. I need success. Maybe you would just want money. And you want success. I need to get close to God. So on some people, it's on one side, it said, I want to get close to God. In fact... I did this exercise not that long ago, and on the want side, a lot of girls wrote, I want to get close to God. A lot. Very few wrote, I need to get close to God. You want to get close to God? May happen, may not. You need to get close to God. So, so what's the difference? 
if you think about it and you realize that it's something you need, then it goes on to your need side. If you, if you don't have a time to think, I want, I want, I want to help everyone. I need to help people. I can't watch people in pain. I need to help people. Then you'll help people. There are so many dreams in this room right now. So many girls and so many people have dreams about how they're going to change the world and what they're going to do, but it's all want. I want to change the world. I want to do this. I want to do this. I need. Very big difference. I gave a very big mustache schmooze last night to my boys. About the difference between wanting to get married and needing to get married. It's a very big difference. People who want to get married are people who need to get married. And then why do you need to get married? That's also a big, big question. For a person who needs something, you don't stop. You need air. Right? You need air. So, you're suffocating. You can do whatever you can to get air. You need to help somebody. You're going to do whatever, whatever it costs, time-wise, physical, money-wise, whatever it is. I need to help her. You're going to help her. You're going to help her. You want to help her? Okay, if it's not my time, it's not my time, whatever it is. I have a time to, I have a time to the girls in Arnava. Very few need to help Arnava. Everybody wants to help Arnava. I told to my friend, I asked him for help financially. You know, I'd like to help you. I'll give you advice. I'm like, you don't need to help me, man. You want to help me, so you're not going to help me. If you were with me with that girl till 6 o'clock in the morning, okay, then you'd need to help me to make sure it doesn't happen again. You just want to help me. There's a very big difference in life. If you, if you want Shalom Bias, if you want Shalom Bias, you go to a therapist. If you need Shalom Bias, you don't need a therapist. Because if you need Shalom Bias, then a guy, I told him last night, if you, if you need to be connected to your wife, you need to make that other person happy in your relationship, you don't need a therapist. Because if you need it, you'll find a way to make that person happy. You'll find a way to make that marriage work. Nothing against therapists. If you want Shalom Bias, I gotta go therapy, you gotta tell me how do I do this? What do I need to do? If you need something, you go inside yourself, you know exactly how to get it. People want Shalom Bias. People want good kids. If you need good kids, guess what? You give them the most precious thing in the whole world. And I've, I've asked this question many times, and specifically to women, and I'm like, what's the most precious thing, most precious thing in a, in a relationship that, that you could give to the other person? Yourself. And love. Wrong. Not personally, but... Yourself. Yourself. Wrong. Oh, yes. Time. You can give yourself, and you can give love. You tell someone, I love you, and here's a present, and step on me if you need to get onto the, you know, to the bed, I'll be on the floor, you can step on me. Not that much I love you. Time. Time is the hardest thing for a person to give to another person because it's yours it's my time and it's the hardest thing and love is worthless without time
a lot of people say, I love you, I love you, I love you, but they don't give their, they don't give them time. Hashem gives, Hashem loves us because He gives us time. And in time, in a moment, you can do so much. You give a person time. And in most of the situations that I deal with, where there's a husband and wife situation, or a parent and child situation, the basis of what that situation is based on is the lack of time. And even when you give time, that you're giving that person time. There's no phone, there's no books, there's no TV. It's me and you, and I'm giving you the most precious thing that I have, and that is my time. Because every second of my time is a second later that I don't have it anymore. Wow. And that's the problem. So the Satan said, how to break relationships? Take away time. Put them on computers, put them on cell phones, let them watch movies, keep them busy so that they can't give each other time. When I grew up, you just got from your parents' time because you ate supper together you came home, your parents came home at 5, 6 o'clock at night. There was no one of this 11, 12, 1 o'clock at night. They were home at 6 o'clock. And they sat at the table. Sometimes we didn't want so much time with our parents. But you got time and your mother stood by that bus. You know, they, they say the three PowerPoints for a woman and her children is she has to be there when the child gets on the bus. She has to be there when the child gets off the bus. And she has to be there when the child goes to sleep. And if you miss any of those three times a day, then there's a very big disconnection and you're going to pay a big price. What they call the three PowerPoints of a, of a mother and a child. Both three times. If you're not there and that kid gets on the bus, gets off the bus, and goes to sleep at night, there's a very big disconnection. And chas v'shalom, it could affect the relationship and affect the child in a very big way. But we have a lot of working mothers and we have to go to work. And we're not there when the kid gets off the bus or gets on the bus and the maid's there and someone else is there. And it's the most crucial time. Because the kid gets off the bus, he, he's leaving his school, he's leaving his friends, and he's coming home. And subconsciously, now I'm talking like a therapist, but subconsciously, if the Spanish maid is the one that's standing there when he gets off the bus, home is Mikasa. Right? It's it's Spanish. What, la casa, ma casa, doesn't make a difference. Mi casa, right? That's a nice China, right? Um, so he's home. He's thinking, home is the person who's waiting for me at the bus. When a child goes to sleep at night, the most important thing for a child when he goes to sleep at night is security. Because if he doesn't feel secure when he goes to sleep, his whole sleep is disturbed. He'll wake up the next morning not fulfilled with his sleep. So when his mommy is sitting there saying, reading a book or saying Hamalach with him, right? And that's how he goes to sleep with the last sound the last voice that he hears or she hears is her mother's or father's voice at the side of their bed, that child will sleep well and feel secure and wake up the next morning in a good place. And of course, when you send that kid away from the home, which is also scary, and go to school, there is nothing better than him looking out the window and seeing his mother standing there. Those are three times of the day that a child needs to feel secure. Time. It's just time. You don't got to dance. You don't stand on your head. You don't got to make funny faces. Just, just got to be there. You got to give them time. 
That is the most precious thing in the world, is time. And that's the one thing we just don't have. So we need to reverse that. You're, you're the mommies. I'm talking to the mommies. It's, I hate to say it, you know, put pressure on you, but, but you're, the, you're the family. You're the family. This is, this is look, look who saved Kleistrel. Shifra and Poor, two women. Shifra and Poor, two women. And then, Batya, who named him Moshe. Moshe and Batya and water go together. Why is his name Moshe? He had seven names. Yukasiel, Tuvia. He had Jewish names. Moshe was given to him by an Egyptian woman. Why did that name stick? Tuvia, he was born Toiv. The Torah says he was born Toiv. Why didn't they call him Tuvia? Why are we calling him by an Egyptian name? And the answer is, Akash Baruch wanted you to know that what is Moshe Rabbeinu? Kimen Hamayim a woman who saw the impossible and just tried. Just put her hand out. That's it. A woman who believed that if you need something, just put your hand out and it'll happen. Wow. That name has to stick. And he's Moshe Rabbeinu forever, named by an Egyptian, not by his mother, Yochavet. She named him, I believe, Tuvia or Yikasiel. That's a big word. And that's how, that's how Shemos has to begin. That you just have to believe, you have to need to save another person. And that's how Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu, the big Moshe Rabbeinu, was saved by an Egyptian princess who named him, and that name stuck. And then, how did he come to the world? His sister Miriam, his parents separated because they didn't want to have any children after that because they didn't want to have a boy and have him murdered. My Paro was killing every boy and, 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 and taking a bath in their blood because he had leprosy. So they said, we're not, we're not, we're separating. And Miriam said, you're worse than Paro. Paro only kills the boys. If you're separated, you're not, you're not going to have boys or girls. You're worse. So Miriam put them back together. And then Miriam stood by the Nile River and watched her brother to make sure that nothing would happen. Listen to who Miriam was. Poor. She got her parents back together that they should have Moshe Rabbeinu. Then she stood there and watched that nothing should happen to Moshe Rabbeinu. And therefore she had a right to sing Shira, a private Shira, after the Yamsuf was split. Where the whole class was sang Shira, and then Miriam and her women came out and sang Shira. Look what Miriam did. And then there's another woman in this parasha. And her name was Tzipporah. And she was married to Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't give his son a bris meal and a snake came and swallowed him, one of those snakes that unhinged their jaws and swallowed Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu was dying. And Tzipporah took a tzur, took a, a stone and gave a bris meal to her son and saved Moshe Rabbeinu's life. The Torah tells us Tzipporah saves his life. That was the second time that she saved his life because she fed him when he was in a dungeon. So you have Tzipporah saving Moshe Rabbeinu's life twice. You have Baita saving Moshe Rabbeinu's life and naming him. You have Miriam causing Moshe Rabbeinu to be brought into the world and then to watch him by the Nile River. Oh my gosh, look what's going on in this parsha. Women rule. And not only that, it says they're the ones who kept us kept the men from doing Averis, they used to come out into the field and they used to look into a mirror and say, who's more beautiful? Famous, famous story. And 
that, those mirrors were used in the Beis Hamikdash in the Kira. Moshe Rabbeinu said, "Tashem, how could you use a mirror? A mirror is a thing that a person makes himself look beautiful. It's physical. How could you use that?" And Rashi says, Hashem says, just the opposite. Those mirrors that were kept the Jewish men from sinning, the Jewish women, they're the ones who kept Klaistro from going off the derech. This whole parsha is about women, and it's the first parsha in the whole Golos. Let's forget about a Golos. So everyone here needs to know that. Every, every woman needs to know that you can't ever give up. You've you, you got to begin to need to do the right things, not just to want. Everybody wants to do the right things. Few people need to do the right things. So maybe we need to go home and write a little list. Really, it'd be very interesting to find out about yourself. Write a I want list. Now that I told you, you're not going to be honest, but write an I want list. I write an I need list. And then look at the two lists and say, what do I really need and what do I really want? And you're going to find out things about yourself you didn't know. And then, like, you know, maybe just take one off the I need, put it by the I want, and one by the I want, and put it by the I need. And for the next month, work on those two. You'll grow a lot. Stay off the internet. What I saw this week, I don't want to ever see again. And I have to tell you something. I'm not looking to cause shock, but... It's one thing for Reverend Wallace to have walked into that hospital and seen this girl screaming and yelling, totally out of control, things that made no sense because she was totally psychotic. But standing right next to me, who I brought to the hospital was her mother. And to look at her face the first time she saw her daughter in that state was something I never imagined that I could ever see. I am begging you from the deepness of my heart, get off the internet. Get off Facebook, please. There are people watching. They see your pictures that you post, even though you think they cannot. I know boys that I know. They're not dangerous. They won't hurt you. But they know how to break into every one of your Facebooks. And they see all your pictures, even though they're not your friends. It's a social network. Why are you posting those pictures? Your mother should never, ever walk into a hospital and see you because you were on that internet. She fainted. She could not, she was screaming, that's not my daughter, where's my daughter? It was her daughter, but she was screaming, that's not my daughter. I don't know how to stress this any more than I'm stressing it. Get off tonight. Use it for school. Use it for business. Use it for whatever you need to use it. Do not use it as a social network. Social network should be your Jewish friends that you know who they are. And if you're single, very preferably female. Not because I'm some crazy religious rabbi Hashem created this to help you and defend you this poor child went on the internet innocently really innocently I know who she is she's been in this chair she, you know who she is she's been here with her mother she's part of Ornava she was part of Ornava I don't know what she's part of right now but she was part of Ornava and I promise you she wasn't looking for trouble Talking, nice, this, whatever, questions, answers. 
help me, this, that. Brilliant guy. This guy's a brilliant guy. There's not some sleazy guy that you meet in the street that you run away from. This guy wears glasses, intelligent, college graduate. That's the game. They're perfect. They know exactly how to get you. They know exactly what to do. They know all the keywords. They know how, who's vulnerable. They know if you're over 18. Now they know already that the law is over 17. They know all the laws to, to, the, to, the, to the point where you said, the police can never do anything to me. She's not a minor. They know exactly what they're doing. You don't. They do. I'm begging you. I'm begging you. Get off tonight. Because should bless us with all that. Anytime we stretch our hand out to help someone else, it should keep stretching till it helps them. Have a good night. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.